Everyone knows that in ballet class, you don't talk. Well, you're not supposed to, at least. But as you file around to the second side of pirouettes, we all have a little chat, don't we? And sure, outside of class, everyone does a bit of blowing off steam. But are there topics in the dance world, and specifically the ballet world, that we don't discuss, even amongst ourselves? Things we're afraid to talk about. Some of the issues we're going to get into, I've barely heard discussed, even in the changing room. Others are definitely entering online discourse, and one in particular is everywhere, but no one wants to talk about the thing itself. So, whether you're a dancer, teacher, student, leader, or dance lover, let's get comfortable talking about the uncomfortable. Because this mini-series is Ballet Taboo. Hi listeners, we are back for another dance mini-series. I am excited and slightly terrified about this one. I'm calling it Ballet Taboo. I'm taking on subjects that aren't, shall we say, out in the open in the ballet world. This series, we are talking more about the ballet world, as I mentioned, not because it's like the best dance form or the hardest or any of that nonsense, but because there are some collective similarities amongst dancers who are or have trained or are training to be ballet dancers that lead to a more accurate conversation, I believe. A lot of this has to do with traditions. Ballet is an art form steeped in tradition. Whether we're talking about codified techniques, cultures where ballet is popular, and of course, who ends up taking it up seriously. I have a co-host this season, as I often do for miniseries, but this time it is my good friend and ex-colleague, Amy Drew. Amy, do you want to do an intro for yourself? Hello, yes. Uh, So I danced professionally for 15 years in ballet and contemporary companies, but mainly as a freelance dancer and teacher in London. And during the pandemic, I was pregnant with our first child and like many, decided that that was a good time to make a big change. So I'm now living and teaching in Cornwall by the sea with my two and a half year old son. And yeah, we are we are both mums to sons that are in similar age. And so a lot of the conversations that we're having, we've been having um, between ourselves. So she's a great one to have on board here. And she indeed will be with us for um, pretty much all future episodes. So what are we going to talk about today? Let's give you some hints. Amy, if I told you that I had come on or that Aunt Flo had come to visit, what would you think I mean? The French would say that the, quote, English have landed. Or in Germany, apparently, you'd say it's Strawberry Week. Okay, I think I know what you're getting at. Uh, In Spanish, they call it defrosting a steak. Not one for our vegans. (laughs) And the Danish say there are painters in the stairway. Um, Apparently, down under... It's called Shark Week, but I can safely say that as an Aussie, I have never used or even heard of that term. Um, we used to just call it being on the rag. Yeah, it's, this, it's the same in Canada, where, where I'm from, yeah, on the rag. We're, we're, we're digging in deep here, guys, already. Okay, so <laughs> we are talking about periods. I'm sure you all guessed that within a minute. Um, but not just that, we're talking about your period as a dancer. Of course, it's not just dancers who might feel awkward about this subject. No, and it's not just menstrual blood. Basically, humans aren't great with anything that comes out of our body. We don't like talking or seeing or thinking about barf or poo or pus. It's all considered gross, even if it's all pretty natural. Exactly. And I'm going to take this opportunity to throw cervical mucus out there too. (laughs) 
<laughs> since we're, we're in that do you subject. Know what? <laughs> Thanks for throwing cervical mucus at me. Um, do you know, whenever I read the word cervical, I, I in my head, I read cervical, which is like the, it's like your neck, like the vertebrae <laughs> oh, in your neck. Cervical so, mucus. Yeah, dancers, if you've got any mucus coming out of your, your <laughs> cervical spine, like, please call a doctor. <laughs> and if you have it coming out of your vagina, it's completely normal and we can talk about it. <laughs> Um, so we're interested in the conversation around periods and the event itself. How does it affect us physically, emotionally, mentally, and long term in relation to a dance training and career? Cue the montage. I first got my period, I think I was 12. And I was in my little local ballet school. And I remember, um, you know, obviously you just think, oh, my God, this thing's just happened to me. And I remember at one point in the class, in the days when they when the teacher went round and, and pushed your knees really, out really It was really, really bad day. It was, you know, day two of the cycle, the worst day. And I just completely bled through the tampon and through the stage pants. And actually, um, my period didn't start until I was... Thirty-two or something. I didn't have a period, and to be absolutely honest, I didn't bother me. And then we got into like jumps or something, and um, teacher stopped the jumps. She kind of beckoned me over to her. You know, the whole class is like sitting there staring at you. Our male pianist is sitting there staring at you. Had a healthy regular cycle for years. Went to ballet school and at 16 received a lot of pressure from the staff to look a certain way. And that stopped my... I never felt my period really being a big issue there. It was like very much normalised actually. So I had all the bits and pieces. But it did feel um, quite strange to be sorting myself out in the quite grimy toilet upstairs on the third floor. Um, but I remember mostly just being relieved because yeah. I, think I didn't have a spare pair of tights, so I had to kind of like come back in in jogging yeah, pants and then watch the rest of class. <laughs> and pff, I'm not blaming the teacher; like she wasn't trying to make it awkward. It's just it, it's like a walk of shame. It was, it was, yeah, it was. And like I don't know how you would handle that otherwise. Like maybe disguise it as a correction. I don't know. But then we shouldn't need to discuss. This is what we're talking about. It's um, yeah. find, finding a way to have a non-awkward conversation about it. What, what about you? Um, so I don't, I don't have any memories of specific things in ballet class, but I was absolutely terrified of using tampons because when we were 11 and we had sex ed at school and you'd go in and all the boys and girls would learn about, you know, how the birds and bees work together and then the boys would go out and they'd tell the girls about periods so the boys didn't even hear this bit of information um and how they showed us that a tampon worked is they put one in a glass of water so uh, you can imagine it just went like like filled this entire (laughs) glass and i was just like i am not putting that anywhere near me (laughs) so i was really terrified of using tampons so I was using, they didn't have period pants then, obviously. So I was using pads and panty liners at ballet. And it was just a constant stress. Like they would poke out the side of your leotard. You wanted to wear shorts, but obviously the teacher would call you out for wearing shorts. And then you were worried about leaks and it moved around. It was uncomfortable. It scrunched up. And I mean, you spend half of ballet class with your crutch open in a ponche or a grand plie or whatever position. Um, And it was just super uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, just going back to like the sex ed of it all, 
Why the heck are are young boys not learning about periods? I mean, maybe because they are now, but certainly I not hope so. in the 90s, early 90s. Yeah, I mean, because it's like, you know, you're, you're, uh, whether or not you end up having a girlfriend and whether or dating someone with a womb who has a period, this is important information, but you're going to have friends, sisters, your mother, like, you know, this is... This is how are, you were are, made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you exist because this happens, basically. That's it. Um, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a big change that needs to happen. Maybe it has already. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, both Amy and I are over a certain age. So I I hope it's being talked about more, like looking on, on social media and stuff. I don't really see a whole lot of dialogue about it. Um, no. I mean, we just had more... our first... Um, pad advert where they used red liquid right that's right yeah that's right yeah yeah normally it's like blue like because... some weird like toilet cleaner looking fluid which is just yeah. i mean you know what if you have, yeah like again if you have blue liquid coming out of you please go see a doctor <laughs> <laughs> especially if it's coming out of your cervical spine <laughs> exactly um oh yeah another thing that i see sometimes are period products in bathrooms um but in general ballet is it's it's an unforgiving art form in many ways and just the just down to the basics of having your period and ballet outfits which tend to be tight you know there's a lot of white tutus going on you're hot it's sweaty and as you said there's there's a lot of ballet with with your your crutch out you know uh, doing a, I haven't done ballet in a while. What's a carte? That's the one. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean. So it is also often when you're training, it's not an environment where you can ask to leave the room. It's kind of frowned upon, and even as a professional, it's um, it's really an environment where we don't like to show weakness. I think that's pretty hammered into us, you know, and that can lead to all sorts of things like dancers concealing injuries or, um, yeah, um, having some mental health issues. Dancers in general don't like to show that they're weak because they feel as though they're fighting so hard for a tiny little bit of turf wherever they are. Um, actually, I was doing a bit of research for this podcast and I was reading about women's football because they're being quite progressive, actually, in women's football. And um, Puma, who provide the kit for quite a few of the women's football teams, basically are making a move away from the traditional white shorts. Um, so uh, Manchester City are wearing burgundy, West Bromwich Albion are wearing navy um, and Stoke City have also changed theirs just to help the players feel more comfortable. And I also read that Wimbledon are having this conversation because we know they have a white only oh policy. Um, they are actually having the conversation about whether that could possibly be changed. So I think that's really encouraging that it's happening in other yeah, kind of elite yeah. areas so maybe i mean maybe we're gonna see burgundy odette i don't know <laughs> <laughs> navy swan and the black swan <laughs> or black swan is just in like a complete black unitard like yeah that'd be great so anyway um let's meet our first guests emma um hi i'm dr nikki k i'm a medical doctor and i have a passion for dancing uh myself personally i'm still dancing um and also um in terms of working with dancers that gives me the most pleasure to uh, try and help them find solutions so that they can perform to their best and hopefully avoid the pitfalls uh of uh, not being so healthy and not being able to achieve their full potential 
If we're talking about periods, we know that we are also talking about hormones. Most people have heard of things like dopamine or estrogen or testosterone. These are all hormones at work in everybody's body, regardless of their biological sex. We asked Dr. Nikki about hormones, what they do for everyone, and... Why do we need them? Well, frankly, we wouldn't be alive if we didn't have them because they are taking care of everything that defines life. So what defines life? Movement, um, nutrition, uh, respiration, that's in terms of making energy in the cells. Um, reproduction is true. That's, that's also one of them, growing. You know, every, what keeps us alive are our hormones because they're in charge of all these processes going on. So we take it for granted we take it for granted that we're going to wake up in the morning. That's cortisol. Mm -hmm. Does a spike wakes you up? We take mm -hmm. it for granted that you're going to eat your breakfast and you're going to get energy from that breakfast. But how? What's making that happen? Hormones. Uh, the secretive work of hormones, as I put it. Let's start by defining what a, quote, normal period should be for a dancer. A few minutes ago, you heard someone saying in our little montage section that they actually didn't get their period until they were in their 30s. That was, in fact, Dr. Nikki. So the average age of starting periods, which is called menarche, the average age is 12, which does seem quite young. And it can be a little bit later in dancers, it's true, a couple of years or so. But the absolute hard cut um, is 15, or if we really want to push it, by the eight, 16th birthday, you know, when you're 15 years and 12 and 11 months or whatever. So 15, 16, but absolutely when the clock chimes and you are 16 and your periods haven't started, absolutely that's given a medical name, primary amenorrhea, and definitely need to look at that because it might be there's some unusual medical thing going on that needs to be sorted out. Or it could be, as in my case, Actually, I, you know, wasn't fueling enough for the dancing I was doing. Simple as that. And so at the time, it's, it, you know, like I said myself, it doesn't seem a big deal. But actually, you're just, um, you know, building up potential problems in the future. So I guess that's the starting point. And then uh, hopefully uh, the dance will have reasonably regular periods. I think another sort of area, lots of maybe dancers get um, concerned if it's not exactly on 28 days. Actually, it's not 28, it's actually 29. But anyway, you know, it's exactly on this magic number, whatever that is. But anything between 22 and 35 is fine. And it can vary from cycle to cycle. That's okay. But if it gets any shorter than this, or any longer than this, then of course, that's a warning sign um, that the hormones aren't quite, quite, aren't quite right. Hopefully, you go through your adult life doing what you want with your reproductive potential. Have a baby, not have a baby, or whatever. And then you reach menopause. So menopause is like the opposite. It's like the, the full stop of, of this, if this menstrual cycle book, if you will. And that's when periods stop, okay? Average age is 51, but it can be anything from 45 to 55. But that's when the periods stop, and therefore all the hormones fall back to very low levels. So throughout a normal single menstrual cycle of 28 days as an average, a dancer has phases of hormones rising and falling with different effects. Dr. Nikki divides it into two phases to keep it simple. Some people divide it into four. 
but it's hard to be accurate about when those smaller divisions are starting or ending unless you're using medical testing for the various hormone levels. So the menstrual cycle uh, is from when you first start your period. So the first day you notice, right, I'm starting to bleed. So from there, right up until when you that starts again, that's the whole cycle. So what happens in that cycle? Right, so the first thing that happens uh, is you have your period, right? You have bleeding. Um, and that is shedding the lining of the uterus, okay? Um, and actually the hormones are pretty low at that point. Typically that lasts for about five days. So that is the bleeding bit, as it were, the period. From then onwards, the focus is to prepare a follicle, an egg for ovulation. So that's why we call um, this the follicular phase. Because in your ovaries, you have millions of potential, of, 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 of well, eggs in readiness, you know. Um, but each cycle, you're going to ovulate one, typically. All right. Well, yeah, you are going to ovulate one. So, but which one? <laughs> They're all jostling. They're all competing. They want to be the chosen one for the role. Yeah, I want to do it. Right. So uh, to choose which one during the follicular phase, what happens is estrogen starts to increase. Okay. So estrogen starts to increase. And this encourages one of the would-be eggs, the hopefuls, the auditioners, one is chosen because one is particularly sent, gets particularly sensitive to estrogen, all right? So it performs particularly well, if you will, okay? And then that one is going to be ovulated, okay? So that's going to be spat out of the ovary and go towards the uterus, okay, to see if there's a sperm hanging around, get fertilized, right? So it's been chosen off. So ovulation I mean, typically, listen, it's going to be very variable, but just to make the maths easier, ovulation, let's say it's going to happen around about the middle of the cycle, okay? Sometimes you won't even know that that's happened, but sometimes women, you might even get a little tweak of pain or, yes, menstrual spots pain, I used to get that, or you might notice your cervical mucus has changed, get a bit stickier. Once ovulation's happened, now we're going to go into the second bit of the cycle, which is called the luteal phase. Now, during the luteal phase, progesterone has its day. So that's the other key um, hormone produced by the ovaries. Progesterone's turn. Estrogen still is goes up reasonably, you know, but progesterone now goes high. And progesterone, the effects of progesterone are on raising your body temperature, speeding up your metabolic rate. This is why you might literally feel hot and bothered, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and also it means you're more dependent on carbohydrates. So you might have those hunger urges, you know, it's like, oh, I really need to eat something. I knew there was a reason why some days like drinking a cup of coffee made me feel like I was having a heart attack. So that was really interesting. That's she me was... every day. <laughs> <laughs> I know, di different roasts can have different levels of caffeine, but also sometimes <laughs> uh, like at night, um, a couple times a month, I have to like kick the duvet covers off, you know, like I feel so much hotter. Absolutely. I, to be honest, I also get quite bad night sweats. Mm -hmm. So same thing with the duvet, but it's almost like that cold, you know, that cold night sweat thing. Yeah. And literally some, sometimes it will soak through mm. my pajamas and everything. So uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay. So where we left it was that there's an egg in my womb. Ooh, exciting. Yeah. But if there's no, no takers, the egg isn't fertilized. Um, the corpus luteum regresses. 
the progesterone level therefore goes down and the endometrial lining, it's no longer, it just sheds. It's going to get thinner and not stick. There's no incentive for it to stick around. And so that's why at the end of the luteal phase, you get your next period. Okay, time to meet another guest on this episode. My name is Dr. Stephanie Potterick. I'm also a medical doctor. I'm a sports nutritionist. I used to be a dancer in musical theatre. And um, I'm just as passionate about helping dancers really be the happiest, healthiest, best version they can be because there is so much potential that is not seen in dance training. And I really don't think it needs to be that way anymore. One thing that Dr. Steph and Nikki are very keen to impress on us is that it is not good if you are a dancer who doesn't start the period by the time you are 16. This is called primary amenorrhea. I think we can go quite ballistic when our dancers come back from the GP or from a gynecologist even in there and then they are being told, oh, well, that's entirely normal because you're training so much, you're so fit and it's, you are not fit. This is not a sign of fitness. This is not a badge of honor. This is not a flex, you know. We would go like, this is your body giving you signals already that something is not quite right. Your menstrual cycle, as Steph says, is a free monthly health checkup. If they've not started, this is a warning sign. Dr. Nikki shares her experience of being a young dancer and not having a period. You know, um, so my story is one the where it wasn't spoken about, but like for a totally different reason. And the whole irony of this is that I, I became a doctor. And even as a doctor, um, you know, I was thinking from a medical point of view, I'm sure this this isn't right. And I'm sure that actually what I'm being told isn't right, but I didn't really have the confidence or the full knowledge until I gradually, you know, I understood more myself. And so actually that's one of my missions um, mm. to make sure that all dancers know that having a period is totally normal, healthy. It's the barometer of healthy hormones, as I, my little thing I always say. And so if you're having them, great, celebrate, you know, um, if you're not, um, you know, that's a warning sign. Your body's trying to tell you something. So secondary amenorrhea is when you've established your period, but after a long gap, longer than 45 days, you don't have a period. This can also be brushed off as you being, you know, very fit or active, but it is also a warning sign. Dr. Steph. Um, what we hear a lot is when a dancer has started their periods and then they go like three, four, five months without, and then we are being told like, well, but that is actually normal. And we have to say, according to international like guidelines, you know, those having looked at all the research available and then kind of filtered out um, the, the current um, best evidence, um, well, usually they are not longer than 45 days. So that is that is usually the longest. Nikki mentioned 35. That is like once you really have established them. But that still 45 days is not once you've started. That is not like three, four, five months. That is like 45 days and there is still reason to get concerned um, if you are or if, if your next period takes much, much, much longer than 45 days. So it is there is some or there can be some irregularities, um, but I would say by and large, um, there's not too much of a difference. That's the one thing. And I think the, the second thing I want to mention is most people, when they think of 
periods, they think of the lower abdomen. And they, it, I mean, we really have to make clear that periods start in the brain. The doctors go on to discuss the various medical conditions that you need to rule out. Um, it's like, well, my periods have stopped. Why should you see a doctor? Um, because like Steph said, it's really important. It's rare. It's true, fortunately. Uh, but nevertheless, there could be an underlying medical condition, uh, like periods start in the brain. I love that. That's my new one. Um, it could be, like Steph said, something to do with the pituitary gland has just, uh, you know, gone a little bit haywire. Okay. Um, and so you, that's why you need to see, um, speak with the doctor because you need to make sure there isn't a medical thing that is going on. But once you've ruled those out, then we can get to the nitty gritty of looking what the dancer is doing. Um, has she got an imbalance in, you know, the training load, the nutrition uh, and the recovery? What's going on? There must be a reason why the brain, the brain has decided to go into energy saving mode. So I think as dancers, if we're being really honest with ourselves and others, we've all been there in some capacity in terms of controlling what we eat in some way. So to greater or lesser extents, whether that is controlling the amount we eat, the amount of calories, the types of things we eat when we eat. And we all know the basic equation. So calories go in, energy comes out. But for some reason, we only think of it in terms of our training and our body shape. And we don't equate that with our overall health and bodily systems. Um, and I think I think that, you know, even if you don't have some kind of disordered eating, it's very easy to be busy and not not eating enough, not fueling yourself enough. You know, this is a super physical, physical job to have. And if you were an athlete, you'd probably have nutritionists on you, like helping you making sure that you're you're getting enough in. And I think as dancers, it's just, you know, it's a it's an environment where maybe we don't think in terms of our physical health. Um, I mean, first. certainly at school, like we didn't really get that many breaks between classes so you'd yeah. have your lunch break yeah. but by then you might have been dancing straight for four hours yeah and actually you don't have time to stop and have a brazil nut or whatever you just you, <laughs> you just carry yeah. on you know and then you get to lunch and you don't want to eat too much because then you've got to get back in and do something else so yeah. it, it is hard to get the balance right i think god god bless the banana um, absolutely and also and it's, it it it's good to remember that like you, you you know you need to feel yourself for more than just the dancing you know you need to feel your liver so it can do its livering and your brain so it can do the braining and you know all, all the all your basic bodily functions absolutely so if we've ruled out underlying health conditions then we need to look at whether you're under fueling and or overtraining I asked Dr. Nikki if that means literally you're not putting enough calories into your body for what it needs to do and what you're asking it to do. If we really want to sort of uh, taking away psychological things, if we just want to sort of look at the hard maths, I suppose you could say, it's like mm. an equation. You mm. put a certain amount of energy into the body. The body has a certain energy requirement. And if there's a mismatch, for example, on the other extreme, if you eat too much relative to what you, you're doing, obviously this is mm. not a dancer I'm talking about, then mm. guess what? You're going mm. to put on weight and maybe even get diabetes. So, But if it's the other way around, you're in negative, in other words, you're put it, not putting it in enough to sustain what you're doing, then yes, effectively that is. So 
but also just to point out the food you, the energy you take in through your food, it's prioritized to cover your your movement, your your dancing. That's from an evolution point of view, because if you had a choice, you know, uh, um, you would have to run away from a saber toothed tiger. So movement is prioritized. So the so the the energy is put into dance training. And then what's left over, if you will, is called energy availability. How much energy is available to maintain all the things for health? And in women, this would include, by the way, having menstrual cycles, because that is a sign of healthy hormones. Okay, so um, I think people think, oh, well, I'm spending this amount of energy on dancing. I just need to put in that amount. It's not matching exactly what you put in for just the demand of energy uh, you need for training, for dancing. Mm. You need a whole stack of energy, by the way, a lot more even. Just mm. us sitting here having a conversation, we are burning through a heck of a lot of energy. Steph has nutritional advice for different times in your cycle. She says you may need to feel more sometimes. Like tell a dancer that during the second half of their cycle, they can add in one more meal per day. They're just going to be like, you kidding me? This, mm. this can't be true. And this is, well, actually you have cravings, right? You have like literally severe cravings and you do beat yourself up for having these cravings because mm. you have been told you don't have enough willpower. That is your body burning quite a lot of more energy during a lot more energy during the second the second half of your cycle, during the luteal phase. Uh, remind me what the luteal phase is. If we just think from ovulation to period, then this is the luteal phase. And this is where body temperature rises a mm-hmm. little. This costs energy. I mean, mm-hmm. you do nothing f- for this or about this. It just happens and it burns more energy per day. Normally, resting heart rate is up a couple of beats. And I mean... Honestly, I say this to my patients so often, try and our heart beats on average 100,000 times a day. Squeeze a tennis ball 100,000 times a day. <laughs> this will make so Sorry. clear that it, that it requires energy to do it. Yeah. yeah? And yeah. so if your resting heart rate per minute is a couple of beats higher than it used to be in the earlier half of your cycle, yeah. that costs energy. And at the end of the day, we have one more meal, one small. It's not a big one, but it's a small meal per day. So adding an extra meal actually feels like a great idea to me. There's nothing worse than feeling full when you're training or performing, which I think is part of the reason dancers sometimes underfuel. But by having more regular and lighter meals, maybe we could avoid that and still get the right nutrition in. Yeah, food and ballet, as we were saying, can get all kind of like tangled up with how you feel about yourself. So feeling down and stressed can also halt your period. Uh, we've been talking about, um, you know, periods starting in the brain. Well, exactly. This is an example. So uh, the brain processes information from inside the body, signals from inside the body saying, hey, this person's asking me to do a whole solo and I can't find any energy. For example, it's monitoring what's happening inside, but also on the outside. It's like, oh, my goodness, I'm just really stressed. Um, you know, uh, I can't remember the choreography. I, I, whatever it is, I can't sleep well. Whatever the source of stress is, the brain doesn't distinguish where this, what the stress is from. Whether it's from a saber tooth tiger or whether it's from you can't remember the the ballet. Whatever it is, it will just register that that this this is a threatening situation. So once again, uh, the body will need to deal with that situation, but also the way we interpret that stress. So if we think, and there's a lovely study, uh, Steph will be familiar with it, I know, um, where um, 
those uh, women who are concerned or athletes, dancers, concerned about their body shape, their body weight, they think they should be thinner, what's called the drive for thinness. That actually has an effect on your hormones. Isn't that amazing? Just think about that. The way you think, the way you interpret stress or the outside world will affect internally. Of course, another reason that you may not be having your period is if you're pregnant or breastfeeding. More on those topics later in this season. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. (laughs) So what are the long-term effects of not having a period? Dr. Nikki. In some ways, the dancer, the young dancer, aspiring dancer in her 20s, whose periods have stopped, for example, she's got secondary amenorrhea. She's going to have very low um, ovarian hormones, low estrogen, low progesterone. Um, In some ways, she's now kind of similar to a menopausal woman, because when you reach the menopause and your periods stop, guess what? Your ovaries also stop working for a different reason. But nevertheless, there are some comparisons. Um, And one of the most uh, important uh, or or really concerning effects of having low estrogen is is on bone health. I think, um, you know, lots of people will know their mothers, their grandmothers, osteoporosis. So the brittle bone disease, they call it. Uh, By the way, my mother used to be taller than me. And now she's shorter because her bones have literally crumbled and crushed. Okay, so number one, I think, is is the bone health. So imagine if you're a 20 year old, you know, now you're getting, you're at risk of getting really weak bones and you definitely don't want weak bones as a dancer, do you? How are you going to land from a grand jeté and you don't want to get a fracture? So bone health is one of the uh, consequences of not, of not having periods. One, one of the top ones probably, but also going back to Steph's um, point, estrogen is so important for brain function, uh, cognitive function, but also, um, your reaction time, there was a lovely study showing athletes whose periods have stopped, had a slower reaction time and weren't able to produce so much power. By the way, reaction time and strength is definitely qualities you want as a dancer, right? So <laughs> that's not good if that's going to be you know, um, uh, a problem for you because of the low estrogen levels. And then the final one, which maybe isn't so well recognized, is that estrogen is very good for heart health cardio uh, mm-hmm. protective. So again, looking to menopausal women, the main cause of death in menopausal women, it's not breast cancer, it's cardiovascular disease, heart attacks, in other words. I'm not suggesting that a 20-year-old whose periods are stopped is going to get a heart attack, but nevertheless, it's not going to be an ideal situation for, for uh, um, heart health. So, you know, those are the my three top picks, as it were, for the effects of, of low um, estrogen. Um, Steph, do you want to pick up on that? Well, yeah, gut health. So not not having not having a regular cycle. Um, it usually you're not eating enough, um, and you're expecting your digestion to work. You just simply expect it to work, and then it, the thing is, it won't because the body trying to survive needs to get some energy from somewhere because you are not not feeding enough, obviously, um, and so it actually starts to break down the gastrointestinal system. Like, how does your food move from like your stomach through the small intestine and the large intestine? This is only by muscle work. And these muscles get broken down because when they get broken down, this releases some energy. And so the body can survive. And why do we expect 
this breakdown to not cause any effect and just, you know, our digestion be spot on. Um, this really isn't happening. The sad truth about this is that dancers then go like, oh, I don't, I don't really, you know, this food doesn't sit well with me or I can't really eat this. I might be intolerant to this. I might be allergic to that or whatever thoughts are then out there and they limit this food or um, they even cut it out completely. And that obviously causes even more problems. So dancers, be careful you don't start self-diagnosing yourself with a wheat or dairy intolerance. If you're missing your period, it could just be that the fine-tuning of your system is off. Yes, it's funny as a dancer because your pain threshold is so high. You just think, oh, well, you know, I've got a bit of period pain. I'll just take some pills and get on with it. Um, but I suppose I was about 40 when I realised that the pain was getting quite bad and also very bad flooding. This um, is Julianne Rice-Oxley. She's a retired dancer who had an extraordinary career spanning nearly 30 years. She stopped dancing when she was 48 and is a trained teacher who works at vocational schools as well as English Youth Ballet. Ju talked to me about how her heavy periods affected her life and career, including a memorable stage call of Swan Lake. We were, it was the tech day and I was doing White Swan. And uh, so the way we would do it, we would do Odette's first entrance with the mime and then she would come off and then um, uh, Janet and the other uh, teachers would uh, spend some time spacing the swans. So um, luckily for me, there was a window because for me to run to the dressing room and go to the bathroom because as I was doing my, I'd literally, before I went on to do that entrance, I'd been to the bathroom, I'd put my sanitary towel in and my extra pair of pants because it was just like, oh my God, I don't know what's going to happen. I went on uh, jeté, you know, poses, PK poses on point, did all the mime, came off stage and I thought, oh my God, I just felt that awful feeling. And I ran to the dressing room, but I knew that they were going to be setting the swans. So I had time, but I had to do a complete entire costume change. I had to find another tutu, tights, everything. I had to do the whole thing. And then I just got back in time to run <laughs> the act two part of the so I was there for that uh, tech rehearsal that Julianne's talking about. And it was something that really stuck in my mind as well. I just have such a vivid memory of this kind of almost blind panic of all of us running around, like trying to grab everything she might need and make sure she was OK to go back on stage. Um, I just couldn't imagine how how that must have affected her that day, but then also coming into the performances the next day I was just I remember being completely full of admiration for the yeah, strength yeah. and kind of bravery she showed and I mean um I'm not sure I was there on that particular occasion but I've certainly worked with Julianne for many many years and I don't think I really realized um you know how bad it had gotten and it just goes to show the amount of work that might go into um I'm not saying she was concealing it but you know, the, the amount of work going on under the surface, literally, that, that I didn't realise. It was that thing of just, she just wanted to dance. Eventually, I ended up going and getting um, looked at by, um, luckily, I had private healthcare. 
Um, so they did a few, I think they're called endoscomies, I'm not sure, and they just had to look around. They said, yeah, you seem to have some fibroids, it's not unusual. Um, so um, after that, it would clear up for a bit, but then they just kept returning. Um, you know, so it would be very problematic on one or two days a month, which wasn't so bad. So I just sort of kept going, really. Um, but it did eventually get worse and worse. And eventually they discovered I had a massive fibroid inside my uterus, um, which was why the bleeding was um, incredibly intense um, and the pain, of course. So um, uh, they prescribed something called tranexamic acid, which are tablets that they give some, well, this is what they said at the time, whether they do anymore, but they, they um, give um, road accident victims to stop them from internally bleeding. So they slow your heart rate down. Um, so that you don't bleed. And it was, you know, I'd have to time when I took those. If I had a performance, I'd have to start taking them two days before. This was near the end when things were getting um, really bad. I'd have to take them two days before so it would sort of slow everything down um, um, and I, I wouldn't bleed so much. So therefore the pain wouldn't be so bad. But those tablets were hard to time and maybe slowing your heart rate down as a dancer isn't great. Not a doctor, but it sounds like a little extreme. Sounds like slowing your heart rate down and then doing exercise that raises your heart rate might be giving mixed messages here. (laughs) Um, So she had a diagnosis of fibroids in her uterus and Julianne was faced with a very difficult decision that pitted her health against her career. So, um, yes, it was a question of if I have a hysterectomy, I would probably have to sort of wind everything up. And in in my head, I thought, I don't think I can really come back after a hysterectomy um, fully. So uh, it was sort of a case of, oh, there's a new production around the corner. I'd rather do that than have a hysterectomy really, <laughs> and bear the consequences. So it was sort of um, timing, really. And so, yes, it did carry on like that until 2014. Um, which is when, I, you know, so I sort of planned it 18 months in advance and, um, you know, we did sort of set a day and, and work out when in the schedule I would stop and when I could take time out to recover and how I would return after that. Julianne had fibroids, which is when extra muscles grow in the lining of the womb. But there are other reasons why a dancer may be having heavy or painful periods. Dr. Nikki. There could also be, by the way, endometriosis is particularly painful, sometimes heavy as well. Um, uh, Really, you know, I was going to say disabling condition, which I suppose is true because it can be really so severe and so painful. And again, lots of stories of women uh, being told uh, normally by male doctors um, that, you know, menstrual period pain, it's like, well, get on with it, you know? Um, And so, of course, uh, again, (laughs) that's not correct. Yes, you can have some cramps and it can be a little bit uncomfortable, but not to the extent where you're flat on your back and you can't, you know, you don't feel you can move or you can't do a class. Okay, so that's endometriosis. Then there's something called PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's a collection of things, including a spike in testosterone levels, greasy skin would be a symptom, unwanted hair growth and irregular periods. Both Dr. Nikki and Steph point out that it can also have a metabolic component, kind of like type 2 diabetes. This collection of things is why it's called a syndrome. There is also another thing called PCO, which is polycystic ovaries. Notice I've dropped the word syndrome. So we're just talking about what the ovaries look like. There There are lots of follicles in the ovaries. But by the way, it's an English expression, chalk and cheese. They look kind of the same, but if you take a bite of cheese and a bite of chalk, 
it's going to be different, isn't it? And this is exactly what, if you just look at the ovaries ultrasound, they look very similar, but one is someone who has true PCOS that actually probably you need to be advising to eat less carbohydrate. The person with polycystic ovaries, PCO, might be a dancer who is trying to restore her periods. But to this dancer, the last thing in the world you need to be saying to them is reduce your carbohydrate intake because hormones love carbohydrate. So that is um, the important thing about distinguishing true PCOS and PCO that can occur in a dancer trying to restore her periods, okay? We'll link to Dr. Nikki's uh, social media where you can read more about the difference between PCOS and PCO. Steph went on to tell me of yet another reason why dancers might be having a heavy period, if you are hypermobile, truly clinically hypermobile, not just flexible. You could suffer from heavy bleeds because you are so pliable. Yeah, very, very pliable blood vessels in a sense. Um, and this could basically mean that this has an effect on how you bleed as well. Many have also prolonged bleeding time when they kind of, you know, cut themselves with a knife in the kitchen or so. Um, and so it happens that they actually really have very, very heavy periods, which is, by the way, called dysmenorrhea. Um, and um, kind of are almost scared um, because they think something is wrong with them. Very often at this age, they don't have their diagnosis yet because hypermobility is notorious for having a very delayed diagnosis. Um, and... Then with very heavy periods, we have to say, A, it feels extremely uncomfortable. It really should, again, as always, please rule out other causes. This is, again, a diagnosis of exclusion. It can go along with a lot of pain because as a hypermobile person, you're quite prone to perceiving pain as very intense, very regularly, actually. I think there's going to be a larger part of the population in the dance world who are hypermobile compared to the, in quotation marks, civilian population. Because being bendy is so desirable in ballet, it can attract people who are prone that way. Apart from the pain and discomfort that may come with heavy bleeding, also known as dysmenorrhea, you are also losing blood, which can leave you iron deficient. Steph warns about making sure you replace iron paying particular attention if you're on a plant-based diet. Iron is unfortunately a micronutrient that you use a lot uh, that you lose a lot if you bleed a lot. And that kind of has very much an implication for your thyroid health, your energy levels and many more. Um, so you would want to make sure that you kind of if you lose it, you want to get it back in one way or another and that is usually through food. And humans are not perfectly designed to absorb plant-based iron. It simply comes in another form than animal-based iron. Um, and again, as there is so little awareness around nutrition and how dancers need to look after themselves or fuel themselves, it goes wrong more often than not. And then the body kind of on the paper gets enough iron because um, there is enough in these plant-based foods. How much is being absorbed and utilized then is a whole different story and nobody looks into this anymore. And then the dancer ends up wondering why they are feeling so lethargic. Back to Amy's chat with Julianne. So she's had her surgery, removing the fibroid in her womb. But she had a gig on the horizon, a concert performance called the Strauss Gala. Um, 
when I had the surgery, I knew that um, Strauss was coming up at Christmas. That's the um, you know orchestra and dancers, luckily, in uh, full crinoline. So if any accidents happen, <laughs> it's not so bad. Um, but so I knew I had that coming up at Christmas. Um, and so I had the surgery on the 1st of September. And uh, they said, go home and don't do anything for two weeks at all. Don't, you know, just... And, you know, I remember sort of shuffling around the kitchen and my husband telling me not to do the washing up and things like that. And, you know, um, eventually after about... I think I stayed indoors for two weeks and then I, I remember walking down the road but feeling really wobbly. No pain, weirdly enough. Absolutely no pain. I mean, I had keyhole surgery. It was incredible. And the surgeon was need to. She said, "Oh my God, I was cursing your stomach muscles." She said, "It took us hours to get because they had to." I mean, if you want the details of the surgery, it's quite it's quite interesting. They had to deliver the fibroid uh, through my vagina, so they did keyhole surgery. They had like a knife and fork and a, a, a telescope thing through my belly button, and they had to cut it up and deliver it sort of that way but because my stomach muscles were so strong she said oh we had to give you extra anesthetic it took forever and yeah she was really funny she made me laugh Um, but I don't actually remember having any pain at all which is weird I remember feeling just wobbly on my feet um comparative to what pain you'd been in for like years already (laughs) and I think six weeks after I was back at work teaching wow six weeks after surgery yeah. you were mm. you were teaching and did you do the strauss at the christmas i did yeah that was a weird thing because of course by then this is maybe when your next question but of course the menopause kicks in overnight when you- yes Jew, that is our next question okay let's take another little break before we get to menopause and birth control someone asks you the doctor particularly oh are you having regular periods the doctor like me should really say the first question should be are you on birth control mm-hmm. if you say no i'm not then i can ask you about periods and menstrual cycles etc etc if you say yes i am on the pill there is no you know we can't ask about periods and, and menstrual cycles because you don't have any you see what i mean so i was on I was on various birth controls from, I think, most of my 20s and much of my 30s uh, for a variety of reasons. But I was always told it was going to help acne. Um, anecdotally, it didn't. I don't think it really did for me. But anyway, I was on and off it for various reasons over like twenty a 20-year 20 period. What about you, Amy? Um, I was almost exactly the same, Emma. Um, I was on the pill most of my life from basically 15 years old. So... Bearing in mind, I got my period when I was about 12. Um, So I'd only been having periods, probably not very regular. They were very heavy and very, very painful. And I also suffered with acne. So when I was 15, they prescribed birth control pill as a way to help the skin, but also to try and even out my kind of very heavy, very painful periods, Um, Mm. which uh, looking on it now, having heard everything that um, Nikki and Steph have to say about this, I feel like possibly that was just hiding what could have been some kind of other issue with the fact I was having heavy bleeds. Mm. Um, so mm. I, interestingly, I, I feel a little bit like I didn't get all the information at that time. And yeah. I was the same as you. I was on it until basically until I decided to try and conceive our son um, yeah. on and off for ages. Uh, and then yeah. 
literally was shocked when I came off the pill and basically went bang into a 29 day regular cycle and conceived Jack the second month I came off birth control. Well, <laughs> yeah. So I feel really lucky because obviously it's not always like that for, for everybody. Mm-hmm. We need to do an episode one day on the trials of having really bad acne and being in the performing arts. Yes. Put a pin in that. Yeah. Put a pin in that. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, mine wasn't Traumatic. terrible, but as a teenager, you feel like it's terrible, don't you? Yeah, Even if it's not absolutely horrendous, you, you feel it. And if you're on stage and you're in class, you're in front of a mirror all day, that's a lot. Okay, back to the birth control pill. First of all, uh, we and Dr. Nikki want to stress, like, yay for the birth control pill. Yay for reproductive rights and choices. Um, <laughs> absolutely. Know, I, I don't want to ta- <laughs> I'm not telling you, you know, we need to go back to the 1940s where there wasn't... Um, as we've said, you might also be on the pill for acne, like Amy and I, uh, for endometriosis, it can really ease those symptoms and for several other reasons. But the contraceptive pill switches off your hormonal cycle. So you are taking a synthetic version of estrogen and progesterone. I say estrogen naturally, but they all say estrogen. Is that, that's, what do you say? Yeah, As a Nazi? I, I say estrogen. I say estrogen, but. Okay, I'll say estrogen. You are taking a synthetic version of estrogen and progesterone in pill form. Then there's a pill-free time when you bleed. This is not menstruation, technically. It's a withdrawal bleed. You'll be less in touch with your real cycle if you're using hormonal contraception. It could also mask the fact that it's not, it wouldn't be like happening otherwise if you weren't taking those pills. Yeah, I can imagine a lot of young dancers may be worried about taking the pill because of supposed weight gain as well. I wish this wasn't an issue, but we have to acknowledge that weight gain might worry some dancers. Yeah, it did me. I asked my GP about weight gain, I think when I was changing pills once. Um, This was a long time ago, but they said, my GP told me there's no evidence that weight gain and the pill are connected. Um, I tried a few before I got to the right one for me, um, but I have to say that at least one uh, one pill I was taking did change my shape. Well, this is very interesting because your GP is right in the sense that there is no mm-hmm. strong evidence that you go on it and it affects and and it changes you know your body shape weight, right? But this is the whole thing about female hormones and individuals. Every woman is different. Mm. So some so when they do these studies and say there was no overall effect, if you look into the details of it, because that's like the average, there will be some yeah. women where it did have a big effect and some where it had none effect. You see what I mean? So the, but the average comes out as null in between. Yeah. So I think realistically, again, um, you know, it is sort of an individual thing. So the the but the key things are the lowest dose one. Okay, mm-hmm. is number one is obviously makes sense. Have the lowest dose one there is, um, and also don't be frightened that if it's not suiting you, you know, it can affect mood, especially in youngsters. And you do notice there's a for you there's a change in your shape. Go back and ask to change. If you're using it for contraception as well, there's other choices. You could be on well, only exactly. pill. You could be on the coil. You could you know. Well, that's the other thing. Uh, I mean, in general, I would say, if possible, try and use non-hormonal contraception. Mm-hmm. 
unless there's a medical condition, like we said, when actually that is a really good choice, like endometriosis. It's like, you know what, actually that's really a good choice. Um, and that's not because, and I'm speaking as a woman, I'm not trying to take away women's choice, by the way, but no, no. I know, but I know how amazing hormones are. Mm-hmm. All right. And I know millions of years of evolution, hormones are amazing. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, you know, so you don't want to, unless you really have to, the ideal world would be you let them do their thing, you see. So mm-hmm. be aware there are other choices, barrier mm-hmm. methods, condoms, copper coil, those don't have hormones in at all. You know, I always thought that menopause was like when your period was stopping and you were getting hot flashes and it was kind of like a stop start sort of thing. We certainly didn't learn about it in sex ed. <laughs> Neither did we. We didn't get that far. Actually, that's, no. <laughs> that's actually the perimenopause and it can start in your early 40s. Menopause itself is a point in time, the day when it's been 12 months since your last period, which on average happens when a woman's 51. But, but it's, it's not, not an, an on-off, on-off switch. switch. It's not one day you've got normal cycles and the next day they've stopped. There's this sort of in-between semi-retirement uh, called perimenopause. So this is when the cycles might become irregular. So I said, you know, there is some variation in cycle length. It could be anything from 22 to 35 days. But, you know, it's like it's like Vivaldi in the full season. One one cycle, it's like really short. The next one, it's really long. One, it's very heavy. One, it's very light. It's like really, you know, a little bit stop and go. But this might happen. But the other sort of challenging thing is that this might happen, this Vivaldi thing might happen for a couple of months and you think okay this is perimenopause and then suddenly for the next four months it might be entirely normal again for you Mm. right so it it is it is um it is challenging it will come and go like that but but go with it your body's you know you're just figuring out what to do that that's what's happening okay you're not going mad you know, um, but this is a, this is a physiological process. I talked to Ju about perimenopause, or actually, in her case, menopause, as her surgery plunged her straight into the menopause. Remember, she'd gone into doing a dancing contract with Strauss Gala not long after her surgery. No, it plunged me straight in because I had everything, like the whole shooting match, is is gone. You know, there's no no ovaries left or anything. You know, so your brain plays funny tricks with you and you're not sure whether it's you going, hmm, I've got the menopause now. But then the hot flushes came, so you know straight away. But I think I think almost straight away, hot flushes, which was, for me, almost the worst thing about the menopause, along with feeling, oh, I don't know, just um, even to this day, seven years later, I'm not quite the same person I was. I don't really, I feel I lack self-esteem and confidence massively. Um and uh, which, you know, perhaps you always do little bits of dancer, but you're always kind of proactive as a dancer, you know, trying to, I don't know, I, I, that that is definitely different. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so I did do the Strauss and I did have a massive wobble in that having learnt the whole show. I remember after the first night just being in floods of tears, just thinking I shouldn't have done this. 
I feel I felt awful out there. I just I did it wasn't the same. And I thought I made a massive mistake. I shouldn't I shouldn't have done this. But luckily that was very temporary. And I went on to enjoy that tour. And I think I did another one after that. And then that was my last performance experience. Uh Jew is Jew is amazing. Uh I think you'll agree, Amy. Best best Chenets in the biz. I still talk about her Chenets when I'm teaching them. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wrap up with some advice. So first of all, if you're not having your period anymore, how do you get it back? Dr. Nikki. The first thing is make sure there's exclude a medical condition, okay? But assuming that that's been excluded, um, and then it, you have to kind of be honest with yourself, which is sometimes tricky. And I'm speaking from experience, by the way, okay? Um, you have to look and say, well, actually, um, Am I not eating enough for what I'm trying to ask my body to do? Because the body will go into self-preservation. If you're dancing really hard, lots of rehearsals, classes, et cetera, but you're not giving the body, your body the energy to, you know, cover that energy demand and keep everything else ticking over, all these essential hormones. And you know what? Fueling yourself properly will make you a better dancer too. Okay, so now I'm having a regular period. How should I track it? Basically, what you need to do, um, like let's just talk pen and paper. Uh, so what you need to do, just put a cross on your calendar when it's day one of your period, okay, with yep. the first bleed there, mm -hmm. and then a cross for the next one. That's the starting point. So now you've got a rough idea of the length, okay? And then what the, to find out, am I in the follicular, am I in the luteal? Um, then you could annotate it yourself. If you do, look out for, start tuning in, looking out for those signs of ovulation, of the sticky mucus, of feeling slightly hotter. And so you get an idea of, you know, that, that thing in the middle when you've ovulated, because that's why I'm saying it's so easy and much easier to divide it into two. Uh, and then you'll get an idea and then you can make notes of how you're feeling. Because what I've said about the luteal phase, for example, when the progesterone sign and feeling hot and bothered, it might not be applicable, right? If, if actually that's not a problem, I don't want to go looking for problems, but if you've got any annotations you want to add, you see it's a recurring theme. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, you look back next month, the next, you know, it's like, oh yeah, that happened last month that I was feeling really hungry in that bit. Then it will all make sense. You see, you can mm -hmm. put it together. Yes, so the good old pen and paper really, really works. But there are increasingly more sophisticated ways to track your cycle too. If you have a smartphone, you might want to try an app. Um, one that I've been reading about recently was Dame Jessica Ennis Hill, who's the Olympic champion that we've all heard about. And she's created her own, saying about it, quote, most women have their cycles happen to them. But this is about taking back power and mastering skills to ultimately become healthier and happier, end quote. So that sounds great to me. Um, and I did a little bit of reading and she's basically created this app where you answer a short questionnaire on your cycle, your symptoms, your general health, your fitness. And the app then tailors daily workouts and nutritional information to your cycle to help optimize your energy and also support your mental and emotional health as you train. 
So in theory, I, I think it's a brilliant idea. And for dancers, potentially, it could be tailored to to be used for their specific training. These are sort of like HIIT workouts and yoga workouts and more more kind of general workouts. Um, but from my reading, it only takes your anecdotal symptoms and cycle information into account and doesn't actually read kind of hormone levels. Um, so I would, I haven't used it myself, but I would question the accuracy. Though I, I'm, I love the idea and I think probably it is quite useful for, for general public. There's going to be loads of apps out there and also all, like with all of them, um, we all, you also just need to take into account you as an individual because I think it was Dr. Nikki told me, I'm not sure if I've included that this part in, in the, in the actual podcast, but she was saying like some people feel great around the time of ovulation. They're really outward facing and want to go for it. Other people, they actually feel better when, once their period has started. Like, you know, um, I guess, is a really good idea to track your periods, but I guess you just need to be mindful that um, you might not fit into these sort of generalized categories of how, how you're supposed to feel. Absolutely. So yeah, there's lots of apps for individuals, but if you are a director of a company or a big dance school listening, I will mention here athlete monitoring. It's software used by many international sports bodies to optimize performance, reduce injury risk, and improve collaboration across all levels of staff. It's pretty adaptable, so it's actually been adopted by ballet companies such as Scottish Ballet has used it in the past, Boston Ballet, and some vocational schools. Essentially, uh, the organization, the ballet company would need to buy the product, and then they give the dancers a login, and the dancers can input their data. Uh, some of the data that you put in is about your menstrual cycle. It has an app too once you're um, on the system. What's really nice is our guest, Dr. Nikki, actually helped develop the menstrual health section of the app along with Scottish Ballet's lead physio and athlete monitoring's director, Francois Gazzano. Um, so I did a little bit more reading. I was up really late one night and <laughs> put on a podcast to try and get back to sleep. And this, not mine, uh, I hope. Pod- <laughs> no, not not yours. <laughs> no, it's actually a really good podcast. So generally, then it doesn't help me go to sleep because what flooded into my semi-conscious mind was um, some information about Manchester City Women's Football Club, who I've already spoken about because they've been changing their kit color. Um, to help women feel more comfortable when they're on their periods. Um, So they've actually teamed up with the English Institute of Sport and taken this idea um, a step further. They've been tracking some of their players' hormone levels almost daily, or at least very regularly during their cycles, using new technology, which requires saliva rather than blood. This makes it really easy, convenient, non-invasive, and they're able to take really, really regular Um, readings of both estrogen and progesterone levels in their athletes. Um, So they're using this to try and tailor the training, nutrition and rest periods for their players. So I I gather both to optimise their players' abilities, um, but also to support the players and allow them to really flourish and feel good about themselves and their training. So I also heard um, through my reading that there are moments in your cycle when you're more prone to an ACL injury. Yeah, I I picked that up in some research as well, that there is some evidence to suggest that when estrogen levels are high around the late follicular phase, just before ovulation, there's an increased risk of injury because the hormone estrogen makes ligaments and tendons more lax. 
Um, and I think, yeah, ACL is, is a common one. So anterior cruciate ligament, um, I believe is what that acronym is. Um, no one is saying that like you shouldn't train then, but it's something that I guess we're still in the very early stages of thinking about in terms of sports science, let alone ballet. I can only really speak about the UK cause that's where I live, but I do see, um, period products in gyms. I saw some in my library the other day. I think the concept of period poverty, especially amongst students right now, um, as we go into a recession, you know, people missing school because they don't have adequate products to cope with their period, essentially. I do, I think we're talking a little bit more about it. Um, so hearing you talk about that really, it gives me a lump in my throat because we live in a, a developed nation. We're very lucky Um that we're relatively well informed, you know, we're talking about needing to talk about this more, but in, you know, in general terms, this is, this is something we all deal with. And the fact that people are having to face something like period poverty makes me really, really sad. Um, yeah. I, I do see, I do see period products around and also there's increasing talk about um, reusable products like period pants and reusable Period pants are the bomb. I mean, I use them. I, yeah, I actually use a moon cup. Um, and I love that as well. Yeah, I really like that too. But that's it. I mean, the problem with, with reusable products is actually getting the talk out there about the actual blood bit. Because you yeah. have to deal with that then, don't you? You have to look at it and you have to deal with it rather than if you have a disposable thing, yeah. you just chuck it away and you don't think about it. So I think they will... They- there's some good environmental reasons to to deal with the blood. I, I used Moon Cup when I was dancing, actually, and I quite liked it. Um, but now that I'm not dancing, it's a bit like contact lenses. I can't really be bothered to put it yeah. in anymore. So I just <laughs> yeah. wear my glasses, but my glasses and my, my period, period pants. pants. <laughs> Available at Uniqlo. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, I also sent you a picture recently, Emma, because... Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> we, were, we were looking at uh, this topic and a friend of mine, uh, her daughter has just started her period. Um, and she's been buying her products and giving her sanitary products to take to school and have in her bag. And she opened one to use herself the other day. And I'm going to find this really hard to describe, but I'm going to use your words, patriarchy (laughs) pad. (laughs) Patriarchy pad. It was basically a sanitary towel, and the absorbent inner lining was shaped like a phallus, um, with the whole, it looked like shebang. a cock and balls. It, <laughs> let's be honest. It looked, like, it looked it, like meat and two veg. It looked like meat and two <laughs> veg, and I was completely shocked. And my friend said to me, "Am I meant to put that in my pants?" Oh God! <laughs> I mean, Between she's my legs. She's been giving this to her teenage daughter, and she didn't realize till she opened it. And I, the first thing that came to all of our minds was this was obviously slipped through the design phase, and it was designed by probably someone without a womb i suspect someone without a womb designed that one (laughs) absolutely Um, i you know what i will put a picture of it somewhere on the makeshift instagram if you really really want to see it (laughs) let's uh I, th- I think your chat with Julianne actually also raised one more issue. It did, yes. So Julianne's experience of having a hysterectomy and returning to work had an interesting aspect. That's another argument for gender equality in positions of power. Yeah, I was very lucky, actually. Uh, Janet Lewis, um, director of English Youth Ballet, was incredibly sympathetic in, in that respect. And yeah, she was amazing. And, you know, she said, don't worry, you have a job here. And, you know, we planned how long I would take off and what my role would be when I came back. I mean, she was she was amazing. She made it as easy as it possibly could have been. 
Do you think, um, this is going a bit off piece, but do you think having had a male boss, you would have had the same kind of understanding for this kind of issue? God, that's a really good question. I doubt it. I mean, I really do feel, you know, she's a mother and a grandmother and, you know, being a female, yeah, she she's was always, well, she is always incredibly sympathetic when people have... Um, uh gynecological problems yeah definitely no I don't I, I couldn't imagine going to going to Felusi or something like that you know <laughs> to, to <Vina> Bali, oh. <laughs> I don't know whether he would have quite understood in the same way that's for sure <laughs> okay I think that is it for for this episode um Amazing. you Thanks for coming along, Amy. Um, you might all be interested to know that Nikki Kay has a book out called Hormones, Health, and Human Potential. Um, there's another book that I've read a bit of called Period Power, which is good. I'll link everything in the show notes. Um, I'd like to thank, obviously, Dr. Nikki Kay, who is um, on Instagram at Nikki Kay Fitness, Dr. Stephanie Potrick, who is at Oz Dancers Overseas. Also, we'd like to say a huge thank you to Julianne Rice-Oxley for her personal insights. And also thanks to my friends who gave me their period anecdotes and references. You know who you are. And thanks to Amy. Thank you, Emma. Okay, closing credits. This has been a Makeshift Company production. Follow us on Instagram at Makeshift Company or check out our website, makeshiftcompany.com. Please remember to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this episode, especially if you say nice stuff. Thanks to Zachary Manisto for his help with the theme music and other audio tinkering. And now, from the cutting room floor, I give you... Um, there's a Greek goddess of action called Hormone, right? So actually, if someone says, oh, you're very hormonal or whatever, your periods, ha ha ha, it's like you take that as a compliment. You are a goddess of action.